Welcome to the Money Hour with host Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited, NMLS 134871. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited. Now in the studio, local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to the Money Hour and 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, December 17th show. You can also listen to my show podcast, Facebook premiere, or you can catch my show on my show YouTube channel. I am your host and local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events and how they can impact your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. I'm here to answer any questions or to connect you with the guests that I have on the show today. Please reach out to the show at themoneyhour.com. And now for the lineup for today's show, I have Scott Schill of SR Schill & Associates, Avoiding Retirement Interrupt, Jasmine Savari of Yellow Arrow Counseling, Boundaries and Self-Care and Brent Bohan of McKinley Irvin Divorce and Property Division. Also, if you're watching my show on my Facebook premiere or YouTube channel, I would like to take this opportunity to introduce my producer over at Hubbard Radio, Benny. Hi, Tina. You know, we're getting down to the end of the wire. Are you still on the nice list? I think I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty close of getting off the naughty list to the oh, nice okay. list. I've got a little All bit right. more time to go. All right. Keep and it I up. know exactly where you're at, but I'm not gonna <laughs> shout it out. <laughs> and my director, uh, marketing director, Becky, she's definitely not on the naughty list for oh, sure. No. Becky, thank you for being here. Thank you, Tina. Yeah, I could not make the show happen with both of them. So a big shout out and a thank you to Benny and Becky. Great information and great guests in studio today. For more information on any topic discussed, please reach out to the show at themoneyhour.com. And now let's go, go ahead and start out the show as we do each week with a little bit of money chat. Money. Money. Tina Mitchell here with your money chat. There is a trick that you learn when parenting, when you see your child's determining frowning face, despite absolutely no reason to be in a bad mood, you simply tell them, don't you smile, don't do it. You're not allowed to smile. And despite how hard they try to hold their composure, they surrender the compulsion to smile albeit unwillingly. If the market were the parental figure in this analogy, Pal would be the determined child doing his best to hold his composure, hoggish tone, in wake of the clearly positive, dovish outlook on the markets. The reality is this, Wednesday's release came in line with the expectations regarding the 50 basis point hike, 
to the target range of 425 to 4.5%. This is up from where rates were only nine months ago in a range between zero and a quarter percent. And he even raised the longer term terminal rate outlook to 5.25%. The higher for longer marathon held true. In fact, there is now a notion that the rate cut may now fall into 2024. So why did the market improve? It came in the form of the collective Federal Open Market Committee participation projections called SEP, a summary of the economic projections. Although the Fed rate shows now higher in the long run, the new data point is that once the Fed does finally begin cutting, they will do so at a much larger magnitude than originally expected. In other words, the taller they are, the harder they fall or in this example, faster. Keep in mind where we go from here will be largely data dependent. We are not out of the woods, of course, but the data will be the ultimate driver for what is to come. As much as Powell may want to toe the line of the market restrictiveness, the markets just can't help from cracking a smile. And as they say, smiling is contagious. Tina Mitchell here, and that is your money chat. Coming up next in the money hour, avoiding retirement interrupt. Scott Schill of SR Schill and Associates right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, every Saturday from 3 to 4 p.m. right here on KKNW AM 1150. Join the show to experience expert advice and knowledge on today's events in our local economy that can affect your money. That's every Saturday from 3 to 4 p.m. with a repeat show on Sundays at 8 a.m. For more information about The Money Hour radio show and their guests, visit themoneyhour.com. That's themoneyhour.com. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Now, back to the show with local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. You are listening to The Money Hour at 1150 AM, KKNW, the Saturday, December 17th show. You can also listen to my show podcast, Facebook premiere, or you can catch my show on my show YouTube channel. I'm your host and local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. It is a great day to talk about money, and that is what my show is all about, how to make money, save money, so you can have a better quality of life for you and your family. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. I'm here to answer any questions or to connect you with the guests that I have on the show today. Please reach out to the show at themoneyhour.com. And now in studio, Scott Schill of SR Schill and Associates, avoiding retirement interrupt right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Welcome to the show, Scott. 
Hey, thanks, Tina. And by the way, where were you with that reverse psychology parenting advice when my kids were young? I kind of used that. <laughs> yeah, oh. so sometimes I'm actually not a parent anymore. I'm a grand, well, I'm a parent. We're a parent forever, right? Um, yes. But I'm a grandparent. So I'm, I'm going through this process again. We babysit our grandchild um, from Friday morning until Saturday night every single week. So I feel like I'm a parent again, right? You know, in sure, that, in that age. So yeah, it's really fun to, uh, to come in with some analogies and bring that in for sure. Well, really excited to have you on the show, Scott. And before we get uh, started on the questions I have for you, I want to do a little introduction for my listeners. So Scott is director of longevity law and planning at SR Schill and Associates, a unique financial and longevity planning firm located on Mercer Island, but serving clients nationwide. As a Northwest native with two sets of parents living nearby and a frequent volunteer with Senior Center of West Seattle and Jewish Family Service, the message that longevity is about relationships resonates deeply with Scott. Prior to joining S.R. Schill, he served as Chief Legal Officer at Aging Options before searing experience advocating for his mom that turned him towards longevity law. His practice focused on complex litigation at Yarmouth Wilston PLLC and Perkins Coyle LP in Seattle. He lives in West Seattle with his wife, Jennifer. There are two boys. Theo and Nate, and not to forget their mischievous dog, Trixie. So thank you again, uh, Scott, for being in studio. Very excited to share your wealth of information with my listeners. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Tina. Yes. So let's go ahead and start out with how have baby boomers and longevity changed retirement? Yeah, well, it's really an exciting time. You know, retirement is always thought about in terms of resources and also relationships, but today it's also about renaissance. There's something that uh, baby boomers expect to have 29 years of retirement. So sometimes your most creative and productive time is the time after uh, we leave full-time work. So, you know, we all have the same goals. We want to be healthy, engaged, and relaxed. We want to pursue our passions and cultivate gratitude. We want to enjoy our grandchildren and uh, our family. And we want to avoid, you know, our worst fears down the road. You know, we don't want to uh, become a burden on anybody. We don't want to be forced out of our homes. Nobody wants to be in a nursing home. We don't want to, you know, lose our, we don't want to go broke. You know, we want family harmony. We all want the same things. That's, that's how retirement has changed. Yeah, and I'm, you know, looking at um, if if you it, during your working years, if somebody were, were to tell you that you are never going to get a raise again for the rest of your career, how would you be looking at that opportunity? Well, it's the same thing in retirement. You don't want to be on a completely fixed income with no potential of that increasing to keep up with inflation. So how, how are you setting yourself up to make sure that you're getting your income that you're receiving is increasing to keep up with inflation? Because that's where, uh, that's where people get in trouble during their retirement age, right? That's an excellent point, Tina. And, you know, being uh, uh, smart about your assets, both in building your nest egg and protecting your nest egg are super important. But the yeah. Other interesting thing that uh, that uh, is really important and is really essential to longevity law and planning what I do is recognizing that it doesn't matter how much money you have, you could have $100 million, 
And uh, if if uh, you hit a bump in the road and things go awry, um, that's that's not going to get you the outcomes you want. But the flip side is you don't need a ton of money to get the outcomes you want. But there's key non-financial drivers of success that we want to add to the important financial piece to get the important things you want down the road, which is, hey, I want to be healthy. I don't want to be forced out of my home. I don't want to be a burden on anybody. I don't want to, uh, uh, I want family harmony. Those are the key things that I think make a, a very mo a modern success, modern uh, retirement success is how I would. Absolutely. So Scott, um, retirement interrupt, talk a little bit more on what that is. Yeah, so I mean, the fact is, so real talk. Let's talk. Can I have real talk here, Tina? Can I? Uh -huh. can I, lay it I love it. Let's <laughs> let's have some real talk. <laughs> okay. Uh, the fact is, when we even when we retire right with a great family, a, a solid nest egg, we have you know our our legal documents. We have got our wills and powers of attorney. The fact is that you know if we hit a bump in the road, our really challenging healthcare system and other forces often leaves families adrift. You know, even in conflict. And sometimes, you know, drives us to live where we vowed we never would. And so uh, that's retirement. That's what I call retirement interrupted. Okay. You did everything right. And now all of a sudden this hits and all of a sudden the things you want uh, seem like they're out the window. So what we do, what uh, longevity long planning about is about flipping that script, mm -hmm. making the system work for us instead of against us so that we get the outcomes we want. We want to be home. We want to be independent. We want to be secure. We want our family. To get along, we want to enjoy our family. That's what my practice is about. Makes makes sense, and what a what a great practice to have for sure to be making uh, that type of impact in people's lives, especially when they get in to that next season in life where really ultimately we're setting ourselves up to we can, where we can enjoy that season. So, Scott, what drew you to longevity planning? Yeah, well, uh, you know, as my bio said, I, I have uh, multiple sets of parents here and I'm responsible for them. Yeah. And my mom was going to, my mom is an incredibly vivacious, energetic, you know, woman, you know, puts on her makeup before she gets out of bed in the morning, just this very, uh, and she was going to have major hip surgery. She was going to be in a body cast for eight weeks, which was, the prospect was just an ordeal. And uh, so the surgery goes well. 11 days after the surgery, she's in rehab, Friday afternoon at 4.45 p.m., they come to me and they say, Scott, uh, we can't do any more uh, physical therapy until the cast comes off, so Medicare is not going to pay for this. Your mom has to be out of here by Monday. Oh Here's 15 minutes with a social worker. What are you going to do with your mom? And I was really shocked. This was my first encounter with how the, the system works. And being a lawyer, I started looking into it. But I, uh, to cut to the chase, you know, I recognize that even families that have access to resources and, you know, kids that are not, that want to do right by their parents and are, not, are, are uh, relatively sophisticated, um, get put in these really troubling situations. It's a very predictable journey and it happens all the time. So I started saying, I'm responsible for my mom and my in-laws. What, yeah. what should I be doing? I became scared. I have this power, you know, power of attorney, but I don't know what to do. Yeah. So I started looking around and when I called around, people just said, well, you know, if a crisis hits, give me a call. <laughs> and that just seemed like that did not make any sense whatsoever. And so that's really the genesis of my practice to say, you know, what can we do today as part of retirement planning, your 50s and 60s, whether we're adult kids that are responsible for our parents 
yeah. or we don't want to put our kids through this mess. Yeah. What can we do today? And what I found out was that, okay, this is how it works. Real talk. You know, you have a health issue and you sitting and you have a stroke, say for example, mm-hmm. health issue. Doctor comes just like the doctor came to me and said, you know, good news is, uh, you know, mom's going to live. Bad news is she can't go home. What are you going to do with your mom? So the health issue is now a housing issue. It's not a housing issue for mom. It's a housing issue for the whole family. What are we going to do? Every, all the kids want to do right by mom, but maybe they have different ideas about it. So now family conflicts start to arise here. Someone's One kid's doing all the work, and that's, you know, family fissures happen here. Oh, my God, how are we going to pay for this? So the health issue becomes a housing issue, becomes a financial issue. All of it is a family issue. So what I found is if we can't, and, and the fact it is, the, here's the disturbing fact is 70% of us end up in this situation. That's what we're flipping. That is scary. That's what we're flipping the script on. So what we do is we say, hey, the best answer is, you know, let's let's start with health. It's about health, housing, financial, legal, and family. Let's start with health. What can we do to make our health span match Mm -hmm. our lifespan? Because if we if our health spans our lifespan, we don't get into this mess at all. Yes. And so we put the right medical team in place. There's some obvious, you know, just one example is, uh, you know, the evidence is overwhelming that same way we send our kids to a pediatrician, Tina. If, we, if we're over 70 years old, if we go to a geriatrician, 25% less disability, 40% less use of home health services, um, 50% less depression. Just that one intervention, you've already changed the odds dramatically in your favor. Yeah, yeah. So we do the same thing. Housing is the biggest challenge. All these things, we apply best practices today, 10 yes. years, 20 years before, you know, before the things happen. And that's how we get the outcome we want, which is hey, I'm not going to be forced out of my home. I'm not going to be a burden on anybody. I'm going to keep family peace and harmony. Yeah, yeah that is that is great, um, Scott. And, and again, what an amazing service to prepare for today so that you are not in a position of crisis in the future. So uh, Scott, why should someone, well, we've talked a little bit about it, but you know, oh, we've talked a lot about it. Um, additional reasons in the planning for longevity. Yeah, well, I mean, the most important thing is, you know, whether you're uh, 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 a kid who's responsible for your parents or you're a parent that doesn't want to put your kid through it, we all want the same things. Hey, I, I want, you know, I want to shape my own story. I want to be in control of my life, my identity, my autonomy, my story. And so that's the key reason. Uh, the, the, the great opportunity here is by planning today, we can put the robust framework and resources in place that you have what we call the four C's. This mm-hmm. four C loves everything. Control, confidence, clarity, and connection. Okay. Yeah. And I like how to shape your own story. You're shaping your own journey because what a nightmare um, not to be able to be in control of that and to completely lose it, um, lose that control. So when should someone start beginning this process of longevity planning? Yeah, so you it's really exactly parallel with retirement planning. So when you're in your mid-50s, uh, we're starting to focus on the, the, the high leverage opportunities to maximize you know, your health, put the right medical team in place, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the, uh, or start working with your parents. So really, it's, it's, it's retirement planning. Anytime from 55 or even earlier to uh, you know, 75. Or later. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. And so how does the longevity planning process work, Scott? Yeah. So we, the first part is we figure out what we, uh, what your goals are. What do you want? Hey, I don't want to be in a nursing home. Okay. That's important. I want my family to get along. Next thing we put in the, the resources in place. So for example, when I was in the hospital with my mom, uh, I know today that in that situation where they say, hey, mom can't go home, what are you going to do? I'm supposed to call a geriatric care manager to come in and help. I'm supposed to advocate for my mom to say, hold on a second, stop the train. Yeah. But I'm going to call in this professional to come and help me. They'll work with the hospital to see what's possible and they'll set things up for me. So it takes the burden off the kids and okay. the parents get the outcome they want. Okay. And how do adult children children benefit by the longevity planning for or with their parents? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. I, I come at this as an adult child, and I happen mm -hmm. to be, fortunately, I'm in the area with my parents, but a lot of kids are in different parts of the country, and everyone wants, you know, the vast majority, in my experience, Tina, want to do right by their parents. And it's a, um, it's a scary, overwhelming, we're given this power, but we have no idea what to do with it. And that, that uncertainty is scary. So what we want to do is not just to give kids the power, but give them kind of the manual of instructions, the yeah. guidance and resources so that, hey, we're planning the year for smooth sailing, we're never gonna have to do it. But if you do have to step up at some point, it's going to be the, the burden is going to be minimized. It's going to be uh, smooth. And we got the people in place. Yeah. The worst thing to do is to try to figure out a plan when you've already, when you need to take action right now, you put together the plan, get those experts and get everything lined up before you actually have to start that process. And, I mean, the truth is once you get on this journey, what I call, you know, this very predictable journey where you have a uh -huh. health issue and you're in the hospital it's too late. The crisis is there and yeah. uh, things start to happen. So uh, the, the great thing is the opportunity is that the luxury of time, you can get this in, in working for you, get everything working for you instead of against you. Yeah. So um, in my last minute here that I have with you, if you can quickly answer, uh, Scott, um, family meeting and the importance of bringing the family together. Oh, that's the most important thing. So thank you for bringing that up, Tina. So you know, we're going to work to put the plan and put the resources in place. It's maybe your plan, but if your kids need to step up, they're the ones that are executing it. So it has to be communicated. So we have, we bring in the family. I uh, host a meeting with the family and it is wonderful. People come in saying, what's this about? And they come out with this great sense of relief and connection saying, oh my God, look at all the great work that my parents have done to make this easy for me. And, um, uh, we're going to get the outcomes that we want. It's really the most meaningful and uh, the, my favorite part of the job is work, seeing families uh, put in a better position to succeed. Yeah, that is great, Scott. Well, um, nice job in uh, what your firm is doing, the difference that you're making uh, in our community and communities nationwide. Um, it's just amazing. And I really appreciate you being here on the show. And I'm excited to have you uh, come back again in the future. Thanks so much, Tina. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you, Scott. All right, coming up next on the money are boundaries and self-care with Jasmine Savari of Yellow Error Counseling right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Retirement Interrupted. Even when we retire right with a great family, solid nest egg, and legal documents in place, 
If we hit a health bump in the road, over 70% of the time, our challenging system delivers our worst fears, our families overwhelmed, adrift, or even in conflict. And the ultimate indignity? We get pushed to live in the nursing home, all while losing our hard-earned nest egg. That's retirement interrupted. But now for the first time, there is a solution. SR Shill & Associates, unique 4C longevity plan, flips this script making the system actually work for us instead of against us. Simplifying, dignifying, and unifying your life and those of your loved ones so you avoid retirement interrupted and instead enjoy retirement reconnected. To learn more about this unique financial and longevity law and planning firm, visit their website at srshill.com. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Now, back to the show with local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. You are listening to The Money Hour at 1150 a.m. KKNW, the Saturday, December 17th show. You can also listen to my show podcast, Facebook premiere, or you can catch my show on my show YouTube channel. I am your host and local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. I'm here to help you build a strong financial blueprint one week and one show at a time. If you are hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have on the show today. Please call the show at one 855 or you can go online at themoneyhour.com. And now in studio, I have Jasmine Savari of Yellow Arrow Counseling, and we're going to be talking about boundaries and self-care right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Jasmine, thank you for joining me in my virtual show. Tina, thank you so much for having me. I, I will tell everybody I lost my voice this morning, so it will, it will be here to the extent that it can be here. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. And I was actually going to give a, um, a shout out on that as well, because you can probably hear your host is sick too. I do yeah. have my voice. Um, um, so I might be a step up in, <laughs> uh, concern. I know I'm not going to lose my voice, but thank you, Jasmine. I appreciate you coming in um, to the show, even though you're under the weather. Uh, yeah, today. I'm so- happy to be here. Thank you, Jasmine. So a little bit about Jasmine before we get started. She is a licensed mental health counselor based out of Kirkland, Washington. She meets with clients virtually and in person in her Kirkland office. Jasmine specializes in working with individuals with low low self-esteem or relationship issues. Jasmine especially loves working with high performers who have a lingering feel that they're not enough. Jasmine also has a new group where she focuses on boundaries and self-care. The group is unlimited and open to anyone who wants to explore their own challenges with taking care of themselves and all of the ways that are necessary. Jasmine uh, info, she can be founded on yellow, arrowcounseling.com. So um, Jasmine, let's go ahead and start out uh, today. A question, what usually brings people to work in therapy? What what, uh, causes them to pick up the phone or reach out online to get therapy? Yeah. The first thing I would say about that is it's actually like something that seems horrible, but it's a really good invitation to therapy. So it's usually some sort of crisis that has been building for a long time. And then something ruptures and they realize that they need help. The alternative to that is maintaining 
this like low level misery for a long time, but not really being able to do anything about it. And so it's usually like a divorce, loss of a job. Um, some people start having panic attacks. That's a big one um, that will bring people to therapy, but it's usually something that has been there for a really long time and it's finally just done. Yeah. And that low, that low level misery, it becomes that high level misery of not taken care of because of the ripple effect, right? You know, yes. I mean, it's the importance of having um, uh, an expert. So how do you find a good therapist? Jasmine. Good question. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of really bad therapists out there too. Um, so it's a really tough thing to know how to find a good therapist. I think a personal referral is really important, which is why I love the communities of, um, you know, referral yes. companies. Um, so, but the most important thing is how you feel with the therapist. And so most therapists offer a free consultation mm -hmm. and there's no reason that you need to pick the first therapist. You can have multiple consultations with multiple therapists and just notice how you feel when you talk to them. How do you feel in that relationship? That's the most important part of therapy is the relationship with the therapist actually. Yeah. And I mean, anything that you're, um, uh, you're purchasing where you have somebody that's going to be walking you through the process, getting a mortgage or buying a house, which yeah. is in my arena, um, the person that you choose, that's what makes or break. Um, and even more so in what you do as a therapist, because yeah. you really have to be able to connect with that therapist in order for them to, no matter how much, um, knowledge they have, if you don't have that connection, it's going to be hard for your therapist to get things out of you and to really draw the best best to help you, uh, heal to be yeah. your best. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So I like, um, I like that shout out and, you know, have your initial consultations, um, so that you can kind of have, go through that interview process to see, uh, what your intuition, your gut is telling you who is going to most connect with you. So Jasmine, uh, what do you offer in your practice? So I do private practice therapy. So I meet with clients individually once a week. Usually sometimes I meet with them twice a week, sometimes three times a week. Um, my practice is very full right now because a lot of people are experiencing stress in their lives. And so what I decided to do was start a group so that more people can come in and get support. And so the group is unlimited and open to anybody. And I would say most people who come to my practice on some level struggle with boundaries and self-care. Um, so that's why I named the group that I used to call it the codependency group, but I think that turned people off a little bit. Um, codependency really is just lack of boundaries and lack of self-care. So I just kind of revamped it. Um, I don't have a lot of space for new clients, but I have a lot of space for people who want to come into the group. Well, and that's really great, Jasmine, when you get to uh, a position, because as a therapist, it's not like in my business, you just keep hiring to your team. You add team members to help support more business. As a therapist, you are the therapist and yeah. people are signing on for you to have therapy sessions with you. So what a great idea and a great service that you've been able to provide as your practice is full individually to be able to put these group sessions. And there's some real uh, benefits and, and you know this as a therapist, uh, Jasmine, but real good benefits when you get into group and you really start to have that support. You have the support of your therapist, but there's a different support when it's the same people that are going through the sessions that you are, right? It's kind of the peers that are on the same level, not that therapist that really is on a, another level that sometimes seems untouchable, right? You know, so group yeah. therapy can be really um, a huge benefit um, because of that. Would you agree? 
Yeah, I would say that's one of the main reasons I believe in support groups is because people have so much shame when they need help with something, but then when they see that other people struggle from the same thing, they know that they're not alone and it's just very human. So everything you said, and yes, group is amazing. It's really powerful to be with your peers like that. Yeah, that's great that you um, you have that platform available. So Jasmine, how do how would you define boundaries? Mm-hmm. Good question. Boundaries are um, basically what like is around us. And so one of the sayings in like a codependency framework would be going around feeling somebody else's forehead to see how you're doing. Such a weird thing to think about, but yeah. like if somebody else is upset, does that mean that I have to be upset? Does that mean I'm responsible for taking care of them? Does that have anything to do with me? Usually no, unless you did something. So a boundary is what is you? Like this is what you have control over, right? And there is so much, I use the word dysfunction, but I mean it more like not functional, right? So there's functional and then dysfunctional. There are so many relationships that are not functional where there's either a victim story where like, I need somebody else to do things for me to take care of myself. Um, or I need somebody to take care of because my identity is based on taking care of other people. Uh And there's, there's poor boundaries in that because I'm not super clear about who I am unless somebody else is showing me who I am. That's not healthy. Boundaries are who we are, what we're responsible for. Yeah, that is, that is great. And that's really the only thing that we have control over. We're only in control over ourselves, our own space. And through having control of that, it actually opens up space for people to feel uh, more like themselves around you. So let's talk about uh, defining self-care. How would you define that? Self-care is so confusing. Even for me as a therapist, I'm like, okay, do I take good care of myself? I think so. But what I'm learning is I actually don't. Um, And it's a process. And so self-care, I think we think of getting a massage or getting your nails done or something like that as a woman, something that's relaxing and takes care Uh of yourself. But one thing that I'm learning as far as boundaries go is to say no to things, Mm -hmm. to not overwhelm myself, to be connected to how I'm feeling and what I'm actually capable of and what is my responsibility. Those are the parts of self-care that I'm talking about in my group. It's, it's not about getting enough, you know, water it's about, Mm -hmm. which obviously matters. It's about what are you doing? What are you doing to take care of yourself? Yeah. The power of saying no and understanding, um, because depending on what season you're in, in your life and what you're dealing with differently, that's going to be changing because if you have more space, things are, um, you're in more control of your space. You have more space to be supportive to the people that you love. And there's other seasons in your life that, that you're not. So you have to really be able to understand the power of saying, uh, no. So Jasmine, how do you know if you have poor boundaries. What are some things that would show up that you can go, okay, yeah. Um, listening to the segment today, I definitely have some poor boundaries. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a fun dinner party guest. I'm just kidding. I am a fun dinner party guest. <laughs> I'm sure you would be I, <laughs> make everybody think about themselves. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that you can really see clearly is confusion is a part of boundaries, poor boundaries. Do I know what I'm supposed to be doing or do I think somebody should be telling me what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I unclear? So another piece of having poor boundaries is from the teacher that I learned from, Pia Melody is who I use a lot of her work. She talks about it as emotional immaturity. 
And so if there's confusion, you're, you don't feel like a functional adult and you're not sure how to make decisions because you don't trust yourself. That's a pretty clear sign that you may have poor boundaries. Um, another one that people say often is they don't know who they are. That's a big one. And And it's sad. So sad. And it's, it's everywhere. And sometimes it presents itself as the question, what do I do? But yeah. beneath that is the question, who am I? Like, I do I think I'm say, if, what should I, what should I do? It's like, that would be the big question. It's like, who am I? And what a sad question to ask yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where does this come from, uh, Jasmine, in, if you feel that you have poor boundaries, um, where do you think majority of time that is coming from, from people? Yeah. So this is the part that people don't like to talk about. Um, it often comes from our childhood and life is really stressful as we know, and it's not about blaming parents. Parents do the best that they can. There's a difference between intention and impact. So as a parent, there could be things that were happening for you. You could have been stressed out Mm -hmm. and your kid maybe learned to navigate how to not stress you out more. Right. And that was, that's, that's, um, a learned behavior of what I like to call enmeshment, where I don't have a separation of who I am. I need to make sure I am who you need me to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say humans in general just struggle with things. We're emotional creatures. It doesn't mean that you're bad or unique or different. Everybody could learn about themselves and what contributed to the development of their sense of self and who they think they are. And Um, I see it a lot with parents who have addiction. So kids who grew up in families where that's happening. Um, but it usually comes from the childhood situation, something that happened. Yeah. And, you know, um, really you need to, you need to, um, unpack that baggage and while you're doing it with a therapist like Jasmine, it's going to be uncomfortable in a place that you want to, you don't want to go, but the ending result of it is once you can unpack that, then you can really know who you are, know where you came from. You can appreciate those times that were challenging and a lot of times traumatic. And you, once you've embraced that and you unpacked it, then you can uh, appreciate that. And that's what then allows you to turn into your triumph. I do a keynote um, where I share my story and I call it tragedy to triumph. And it wasn't until I understood my tragedy in life and why I made the decisions I did. Um, some tragedies out of my control, but later in life, all of the tragedies were 100% in my control. They were the decisions I made it around, around that. And once unpacking all of that and realizing that I had control of my life, then I was able to triumph from it. And when you can connect your dots, Steve Jobs has a commencement speech he did for Stanford that says that's called, he talks about connecting his dots. Um, What an amazing exercise. And that's what Jasmine is talking about here. You need to get with an expert, understand where you came from, where those stories are at, which stories that you haven't unpacked and you don't understand what happened and magical things come out of that. And Jasmine, what a great way to end my, my time with you today, because I think that's the biggest takeaway for anybody that's listening to the show. I just got goosebumps and I want to just start crying because it's so important. People are, have so many tragedies in life because they're stuck and you can get unstuck if you hire an expert that can help you get there. Um, uh, Jasmine, um, how can clients reach out to you? Yeah. So I uh, yellow arrow counseling is my website. I'm also very active on social media, just under my name. I post a lot of videos there and I do have a podcast called the live your life podcast. So that's a way you can find me as well. Wonderful. Jasmine, thank you so much for uh, joining me in studio. It's a pleasure to uh, have you and I look forward to having you back.
Thank you, Tina. Thanks for having me. All right. And feel better. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Thank you. And coming up on the Money Are Diverse Divorce and Property Division, Bahan of McKinley Irvin, right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Are you a high performer who has a constant feeling that it's never enough or that you are not enough? Jasmine Savari with Yellow Arrow Counseling helps people break their unconscious scripts and false narratives so they can be free to live their best lives now where they can feel peace and higher self-esteem. Jasmine has committed her life to deeply understanding everything wellness from her podcast conversations, deep understanding of addiction and codependency to silent meditation retreats and more. You can find more about Jasmine at yellowarrowcounseling.com or by visiting her social media pages all under her name, Jasmine Savari, spelled S-V-A-R-E, Savari. Schedule your free consultation today with Yellow Arrow Counseling. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk 1150 AM. Now, back to the show with local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. You are listening to The Money Hour at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, December 17th show. You can also listen to my show podcast, Facebook premiere, or you can catch my show on my show YouTube channel. In addition, um, for more information, you can go to themoneyhour.com. I'm your host and local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, bringing into studio each week the best of the best experts in our local market on everything regarding your money. And I'm here to help you in today's economy. And really excited to have uh, in studio, we're going to be talking on divorce and property division with Brent Bohan of McKinley Irvin right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Uh, Brent, thank you so much for joining joining me in studio. Very excited to have you. Thanks, Tina. I appreciate you having me and uh, hopefully I can contribute to these excellent segments. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, I know you will and very excited to share you with my listeners. A little bit about Brent is partner at McKinley Irvin, the Pacific Northwest largest family law firm. Uh, Brent has practiced family law for over 10 years and focuses his practice on high asset division cases. His clients have included athletes, politicians, and executives. He has been named a Washington Rising Star by Super Lawyers and listed in the best lawyers, ones to watch in the field of family law. He is peer review rated AV pre-marmit by uh, Martindale Hubble, maintains a 10 Point zero superb rating on avo.com, avo.com, and received the Avo Clients Choice Award from 2015 to 2019. Uh, quite an introduction uh, and credentials there, uh, Brent, and that's why I reached out to have you on my show. Thank so, you. starting out my time with you, uh, what is the process of dividing assets in a divorce, Brett? Yeah, so uh, uh, the court and um, then subsequently parties and practitioners uh, go through four basic steps when dividing up assets in a divorce. And uh, the first step is to identify the assets. And that just makes sense because we want to know what we're talking about here. We want to get everything on the table. Um, The starting position is all property is properly before the court. So 
independent of whose name it's in, uh, we, we have to know what we're talking about. Um, once we know what property is, is there, the second step is to value the property. And um, valuation can be a little bit trickier than uh, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just as simple as going online and looking to see what a stock price is. But uh, for example, valuing a house, you know, given the fluctuation in the market, um, parties may disagree over the value of a house. So once we've identified property, valued it, then uh, it has to be characterized before it's divided. And the characterization of property is, is binary. So it's either characterized as separate property or it's characterized as community property. Mm -hmm. Once that characterization has occurred, um, then we divide the property fairly and equitably. Um, and so I think everybody agrees in, in divorce cases that property should be divided fairly between them. Um, the, the, the fight occurs or the disagreement occurs when people don't agree on what's fair. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure there are situations where they don't want it to be fair, for sure. When you get into the divorce, people are, um, are not happy and wanting to share. So, Brett, can you explain what factors determine how uh, property is divided in a divorce? Sure. So there can be a number of, of factors that play into this. So when we talk about fair and equitable, that's a very subjective term. So, yeah. you know, at parties consider and in, in, in the court, certainly if it gets there, will consider certain factors on how property is going to be divided and whether or not it's fair to divide property in a certain way. And so those factors are things like the length of the marriage. Are we talking about a long-term marriage, 30 years plus, or are we talking about, you know, sometimes received marriages that are under a year? Um, and so that can be a factor. Uh, the ages of the spouses, are we, are we talking about spouses um, that are, you know, starting their careers or we are, are we talking about spouses that are starting or ending their careers or somewhere in between? Uh, their income levels, if there's a discrepancy in income level, that can certainly have a, a play a factor in it. If you have one party that is earning significantly more, for example, if you have a party that's earning significantly more than the other party, um, while we do have uh, tools available um, to us, for example, spousal support to kind of put those parties on more equal footing for some time in the future. Property division can also be a way that the court or parties can achieve that goal uh, by uh, granting or agreeing that one party, the financially disadvantaged spouse generally is going to obtain a higher percentage proportionate share of the property in the case. So income level can certainly have an, an impact on it. Uh, along with that education levels, one of the parties is going to need some education here after the divorce to get themselves back on their feet. Um, the existence of non-marital resources. So sometimes you have parties that have access to a trust. That's certainly going to play into how to fairly divide property. Um, there, you know, one party may have a, a, a medical condition that, that they can't work and they may need a, a um, um, uh, a greater division of the assets. There could be a prenuptial agreement. Tina, we could probably do a whole segment on prenuptial yeah. agreements, but that certainly has an impact on how property is divided if one exists and, um, you know, whether a couple live together prior to the marriage. So there's, there's a number of factors that a play lot. into how property is divided. Yeah. So being that Washington is a community state property, when is a property characterized as a separate or community property in Washington? 
So um, this is a, a, a good question because I, you know, anybody that reads online, they say, oh, Washington is a community property state. What does that mean? So uh -huh. the, the, the controlling factor, and this is kind of difficult to, to um, understand sometimes because it's, it's unique to family law and in real estate law, for example, if you, if your name on the title, uh, if you have your name on the title of a house, well, that controls, you have an interest in the house and family law name on title doesn't necessarily control. So the controlling factor in determining whether or not property is characterized as community or separate is when it's acquired. We call it the date of acquisition rule. So if property is acquired during the course of the marriage, it's presumptively community property. If it's acquired before or after the date of marriage, it's presumptively separate property. What difference does this make, Brent? Well, you know, the, the, the difference that it can make is that the community property generally belongs to the community, meaning that it's subject to equitable division. You know, a lot of times people say, well, it means it's divided 50-50. Not necessarily, as we discussed, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a fair and equitable division is what the law says. It, that can mean 50-50, but it can also mean an inequitable division to one spouse, you know, 55-45. 60, 40, something like that. Um, and, and separate property generally belongs to the spouse that acquired that property. Now, yep. there's exceptions to this rule, like there's exceptions to uh, most rules. And, and, and for example, you know, if a, a spouse inherits property during the marriage, even though that property was acquired during the marriage, it's uh, presumptively that person's separate property because it was inherited. So generally the courts, when they look at the property as a whole, they can certainly say, okay, if one spouse has um, significantly more separate property than the other spouse, then they can, as a fair and equitable division, decide to divide uh, community property inequitably um, to the spouse that doesn't have separate property. Um, and so it does, those two aspects do interplay and there are very, very rare cases. Um, and this is why we're not a true community property state. There are rare cases where the court will award separate property, one party separate property to the other uh, spouse. Okay, so yeah, and as you, if you're listening to the show today, um, uh, as you can tell, there's a lot of information to uh, uncover, which is really specific to the individual. And uh, best if you are unfortunately um, in the situation or thinking about divorce, you need to get in contact with an expert. And really, that's what the show is about: is to bring you all of the experts that you need um, right now. So, Brent, what about the division of debts? So debt is uh, just divided the same way as property. It's no different. It's characterized exactly the same. If it's acquired during the marriage, it's presumptively a community debt. If it's acquired before or after, it's presumptively a separate debt. It could be you know, awarded to that party that acquires it. The only caveat to that is there's sometimes debt where, for example, a party may take out student loans during the marriage. Um, but then not work at that job um, until after the divorce. And so even though that debt was acquired during the marriage, it may be assigned to that party because they're the only party to receive that benefit. Oh, that's okay. That makes that makes sense. So there's some, some common sense uh, in this process. So how should someone who is about to possibly go through a divorce and is looking at preparing for asset div div division, what advice would you have? 
That is a really good question. So I get this question often from people. I, I bet you do. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's, it, this process can be daunting. It's like, where do I start? It's yeah. not, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for one of the spouses during the marriage to be keeping track of the finances and the other party to not know yeah. what's going on. So one of the first things I always advise people is to gather as much information as they can. We can certainly gather information during the divorce process. But it's much easier if a, if a person can just go on and look at all, get all their bank account information, look at retirement accounts, tax returns, pay stubs, all the financial information so they have a complete financial picture. I also advise people to consult with financial planners if they can. Yeah. Um, and uh, another helpful exercise is to figure out a budget that mo most people aren't used to living by on their own. They're used to living with a spouse. So it's good to figure out what their monthly budget is going to be after a divorce that can help uh, remove some of the uncertainty. And there's a, sometimes becomes a bit of a tug of war over accounts. So if, this is in rare circumstances or high conflict cases. One spouse may say, look, I think, you know, the other person's going to go into this account and clean it out. I might advise them, okay, we'll take half of the money in there so that, you know, that the account isn't cleared out and we have to go through the process of applying some of that back. Yeah. So there is, there is some, some preparation uh, possibly up front. So Brad, as I'm uh, wrapping up my time with you, I, I want to share, I know your practice focuses on high net worth divorces. What counts as high asset for divorce? So it's really, that's kind of a subjective as well. And some people are going to differ on what uh -huh. they think about this, but I would say high asset is about a million dollars in total asset in the estate. Um, I think that most practitioners would probably place it between one and 5 million. Um, my cases range from- And that's about, including what you would have equity in a property. Cor correct. Yeah. Correct. And so um, my cases range from about uh, about uh, two or three million to on the low end to about I think I have a few over a hundred million in total estate. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And tax concerns. Uh, last question um, before I wrap up the show. Uh, I have less than a minute here, so tax concerns needed to be considered. Um, can you give a quick answer on that? Sure. So um, I should just say that I'm not an accountant. So yeah. if if people have a question about a specific question about taxes, I usually direct them to an accountant. But um, there can be all kinds of tax implications after a divorce. If you sell a property, um, if you have to pay spousal support, you know, even since I've been practicing, that's changed twice. Who's going to pay the taxes on the support? Either the person paying support or the person receiving it. So that could potentially change. So that's a consideration. Um, there's also retirement accounts, stock options, if you're cashing those out, yeah. any type of de de deferred compensation. And then if there's children, who's going to claim the children as dependents on the taxes? Yeah. So there's a lot of things regarding uh, taxes. And again, it's all in the preparation. Um, uh, working with um, uh, the best of the best in this arena is important. That's why I brought Brent into the show. And also to make sure um, the attorney that you're choosing, that they have their power team together. Because as Brent mentioned, he's not a licensed CPA. He's not a licensed financial advisor. Uh, he has his team together to where he can direct and get you connected and work together with those power partners as an entire team around your divorce to make sure that you're maximizing um, what you're taking out of the divorce and you're minimizing what you're having to put into the divorce. Brent, thank you very much for uh, joining me on my show. I really appreciate it and look forward to having you back as well. 
Awesome. Thanks, Tina. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Absolutely. This is your host, Tina Mitchell, your local mortgage expert, signing off for the day. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I look forward to talking more money with you next weekend right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145-420, is a licensed loan originator with Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited, NMLS 134 871. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited.